If you're a small business owner looking to grow or expand your business, check out OnDeck Business Loans. OnDeck offers business loans online from $5,000 to $500,000, and their simple application process only takes 10 minutes. Unlike banks, they'll give you a decision quickly, and funding is as fast as one day. Get a free consultation with an OnDeck loan advisor. Visit OnDeck.com podcast. This is the Customer Equity Accelerator, a weekly show for marketing executives who need to accelerate customer-centric thinking and digital maturity. I'm your host, Allison Hartsoe of Ambition Data. This show features innovative guests who share quick wins on how to improve your bottom line while creating happier, more valuable customers. Ready to accelerate? Let's go. Welcome everyone. Today's show is about customer-centric product development, and to help me discuss this topic is June Dershowitz. June is the Director of Analytics at Twitch, which is now an Amazon company, and I think personally she's soon to be a a Chief Data Officer somewhere. She's so amazing, (laughs) (laughs) and certainly someone I've known for a very long time. June, welcome to the show. Hello, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. So, now, customer-centric product development, this is a, you know, for people who are really, really hot and heavy on CLV, they they oftentimes understand that there's an application into product development, but driving product development might seem a little bit like an oxymoron. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you kind of got to this topic? How did you make the connection? Where did you start? Sure. So it starts with having a background in math and numbers and data always interested me. I've been in the field of data and analytics my entire career, so about 20 years. And I've been here in the San Francisco Bay Area helping companies as a practitioner and at times as a consultant make the best use of their data. And to me, the best use of their data means two things. It means using that data to improve business outcomes and keeping a business competitive in the market. And the second is keeping customers happy, making a great experience for our customers using data. And if we're doing both of those things, I think we're doing a great job of using our data. Oh, that's fantastic. So mathy background, that makes sense, and improving outcomes and keeping customers happy. But was there a particular path that you said, oh my God, this is the light bulb. I have to be doing analytics. What part of your background made it feel like it was all going to come together? I fell into it, honestly. (laughs) Often, you know, other people saw that in me. When I first entered the job market, I thought I wanted to be a front-end developer because I wanted to use my technical skills. But people looked at my background, my interest in understanding the customer combined with technical knowledge about data and databases. And they said, we think you'd make a good analyst. And I gave that a shot and I stuck with it over time, over a long period of time. And I've gone back and forth between the technical side and the business side. I'm on the business side now and I strongly prefer that. But for me, it's just always been that curiosity about what makes a customer tick combined with deep knowledge about the data that drives the business. Oh, I love that. That makes sense. And and it certainly was the right place and the right time to be getting yeah, into analytics. They were right. Yeah. I know. They were. Well, tell us a little bit more about what your team does or what you specifically do on a day-to-day basis. Sure. 
So I am currently at Twitch, an Amazon company. I've been there for two and a half years. When I joined, I was one of the founding members of a team that I'm still on that covers all things data. So that's qualitative and quantitative research. So data science, audience research, user experience research, as well as the realm that I have direct control over, which is analytics, business intelligence, and data governance. And it's been an exciting ride. I'm really interested in helping growing companies develop new capabilities, and I've certainly gotten the chance to do that over the past couple of years, as Twitch has more than tripled in size in terms of its employee base. Wow. Wow. Is that a call for if you're interested or you're looking for work? (laughs) Oh, we're hiring. (laughs) Yeah, we're definitely hiring. Hiring jobs.twitch.tv. <laughs> awesome. All right. So let's dig into customer-centric product development. So I guess the question here is product-centric organizations seem to operate a little bit differently than customer-centric. And when we do the simulation, Mm -hmm. which you participated in at the conference recently, there's a big push about customer-centric thinking versus product-centric thinking. How does one balance or how does one bring the customer into product development? I don't think they need to be mutually exclusive mindsets. And that was something that I spoke to others about at that conference who were concerned with maybe a more traditional view on a product-centric business where you might be not acknowledging customer needs as much as you should when you develop your products, where you're more like developing products for the purpose of developing the product. But I think that it can be a really powerful combination to be at a company that places product innovation and product development at the center of its business, but is also incredibly customer-focused. Because I think any great product team and product managers in particular need to know their customer and acknowledge customer needs as they're developing their products. And if all goes well, then the thing that you build as a product should benefit the customer and acknowledge their needs and also benefit the business and its bottom line. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think no one would disagree with the idea that if you're going to build a product, you have to be able to understand the customer. But the customer lifetime value philosophy or the customer-centric philosophy generally talks about leading with the classification of customers. So a product that's built to solve for every customer's need would be a product-centric approach and a product Mm -hmm. built to solve for high value or medium value or even low value customer needs would be a customer-centric approach. Can you talk a little bit more about how that combination can work together? Are there trade-offs that you have to make when people are like, no, this is the way I think it should go, but I don't have anything mm-hmm. to back it up. How do you really mm-hmm. wrestle those two animals together? I think it's especially important to consider in the product research phase because at that point in time, when you're thinking about product ideas and the kinds of things that you want to make an investment in as a company in terms of product, you need to consider the audience that each of those 
hypothetical products is addressing and the audience and the audience needs. And ideally, you should also be considering the lifetime value of each of the customer groups whose needs are met by those products and use that to prioritize the things that you actually go and build. Got it. Got it. So, so it's, thinking about that upfront and thinking about that in particular with audience research and having a well-formed strategy to say, these are the customer groups we're targeting and that we want to build product for is a powerful combination. So that really gets into that optimization loop. It, it always drives me bonkers when people say, oh, it's a funnel. I'm going to chase my customers through a funnel. Mm -hmm. But what you've really said there is that the back end of the quote funnel or the loop is driving the audience research that then feeds into the next version of the product, that the back end's driving sure. the front end. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I mean, that seems like a good reason to care about product development. And just for folks who don't do product development on an everyday basis, what are the elements that typically go into product development? You've talked about audience research. Are there other elements that would typically feed in? Sure. Well, I think of, in my mind, I think of it as three main stages. The first is the early stage that we just talked about, which is product research and innovation, where you're kind of ideating on the kinds of things that you might do. The second of the three is product development, where you're actually building a plan for the product that you want to produce and thinking about what success looks like and how you're going to measure that and then actually building the thing. And the third and final stage, I would say, is once that product is released into the wild and is used by your customers, making sure that you understand where it's working and where it's not and how to optimize it to make it better over time. Is there a stage that you find people spend too little time in or a stage that they maybe focus too heavily on? Well, I'm a data person, so I'm always going to say that there's never enough time to, one, think through clearly what the measures of business success are once you've settled on maybe a wireframe for a product. Mm -hmm. and then instrument it, right? Because you can't instrument it until it's very close to launch. And when it's very close to launch, there's a lot of pressure built up to actually go and launch the thing. But I think one thing that's really important for product managers to acknowledge in concert with the data people that they work with is that being able to understand what constitutes product success and to be able to quantify that on launch is not a nice to have, it's an essential. And so on day one of a launch, you should already be able to understand how your product is performing so you can measure it over time. Oh, And that's nice. the part that like there have been cases where if there's one thing that gets cut before launch, it's like, oh, we don't have to have the data about And yes, you do. You need to have that data. But I think the mindset's shifting. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you've planned already with your measures of success. And I assume that probably means there's an action behind it. If X, then Y. Is, is that how mm -hmm. it logically fits in? How does it work at Twitch? The action behind it. Could you clarify that a little bit? Yeah. So if I'm measuring success and I've done my research and that I've launched a product and I've got certain measures of success, part of that should also entail if something is happening, if X is happening, then what result do I see on the other side? The ability to pull the lever more or less. Do you see that happening right after the launch where in the Twitch environment, a product comes out, you've got your measures of success. And then there's mm -hmm. a sense of accountability and responsibility to take those actions. Right. Well, I think that's where 
iterative improvement and optimization of the product comes in, right? You certainly can and should make some predictions about what you think the outcome will be when you launch a product. But then once you actually do launch it, it's important to compare the reality to the predictions that you set about what you thought would happen. And then tailor your follow-ups accordingly. It could be that you were wrong about what you thought would happen and and you need to pivot and that's fine as long as you learn something from that exercise. Got it. Got it. Yeah. When we were talking the other day, you mentioned this pattern of the five whys, which I thought was intuitive mm-hmm. and obvious and such a great way to diagnose what you learn. Can you talk through that for just a second? So Twitch, among other things, has a strong culture of conducting postmortems. Um, and postmortems happen when you've had some kind of failure in a company. It could be a technical failure or it could be a business failure. And you bring together people to reflect on what happened and to isolate that down to the root, root cause so you can make sure that you're protected from happening again and you understand what exactly went wrong. So the five whys are essentially a series of questions that you ask about the things that failed. So if you say, I launched a product and it didn't get the adoption that I expected upfront. Well, why? Well, Maybe we hadn't fully thought through who the right audience was for that product that we had made in concept. Well, why? You know, and then you continue on. And so eventually, after five of those why questions, you get to, to the heart of the thing that went wrong so that you can course correct in the future. And there's no judgment there. It's not like you're placing blame on a person for having failed. Rather, it's about learning from that as an organization so that you don't make the same mistakes over and over. It's really valuable. Got it. Got it. I think that's perfect. It fits right into the framework that you mentioned, the optimization of your existing product. Mm-hmm. That That's a nice piece. Okay. So let's say I understand why this is important. Are there examples that you can talk us through about how this product-centric, customer-centric focus, or let's call it customer-centric-led product management is probably a better way to say it. How was this executed mm-hmm. at Twitch? Sure, let me give you one specific example of how we've applied it mm-hmm. here. For those who don't know, Twitch is a live streaming video platform and social community for gamers. So people watching people play video games, which is a thing. It is very popular. So as you can imagine, with live streaming video of any kind, we have a lot of user-generated content. And so one of the big challenges that we face as a business is connecting our customers with content that we think they want to watch. And we think of that as a product area called discovery, right? So mm-hmm. that's a portion of our product is just like helping our customers find the right content that they're going to like. And I think it's a really nice of customer centricity and org that values the product quite a bit, showing people the right things, mm-hmm. right? And so when our product a while back was a little bit less developed, we were looking for simple things that we could do to the product to improve discovery. And the one kind of most simple untapped area was using recency. So if someone comes and uses our product and they watch some video, the next time they come back, why don't we show them the games and the, the streams that they watched most recently as recommendations from what they might want to watch in the future? And that's simple. It doesn't require that they're logged in. It just requires that we know a little bit about their past behavior. And we didn't have this built into our product. And so we rolled this out as a test to see if it would stick. 
And what we found is that when we presented our returning customers with the content they had watched recently as something they might want to watch again in the future, we got a 1% lift in our primary engagement metric, which is minutes watched of video content. So, and for us, I mean, that might seem like a small number, but with the huge volume that we have at Twitch, it was really substantial. And it was one of our most successful product changes of that year. And I thought it was great at acknowledging the customer needs. How can we help customers discover great content? And it was also good at driving business success. It led to a measurable lift in our primary business metric. Mm-hmm. And that was a product change, right? It was a product change, but it was based on customer need, and these were returning customers. So in our mind, they were high-value customers to begin with. Yeah, I was just thinking about that because I think there's usually a strong correlation between, and especially in Twitch's business model where your primary business metric is about minutes watched, but there's usually a strong mm-hmm. correlation between how engaged somebody is, what kind of actions they're taking, how often they come back, and their value to right. you as a customer. Now, it's not, you know, it's not a hard and fast rule, but there's generally a pretty good correlation. Now, of course, with Twitch, your product is online. The minutes watched is the metric. It's not like I'm shopping around trying to find something, although you probably look at that too. So I can see Mm -hmm. the customer lifetime value aspect feeding in here. So even then when you're talking about discovery and finding what to watch, by definition, you're going after one, returning customers who are already more loyal and likely to be more valuable. And two, you're looking for a way to take people who are already engaged and get them to be more engaged, which is another signal for value. Are there any other value signals that you think drove this example in particular? Well, there's one just a little bit downstream from this, which is really important to us. And we call it five-minute plays. So a five-minute play is someone watching one stream of content for at least five minutes of time in a session. And we see that as someone came to a video stream on Twitch and they sat and they watched it for at least five minutes. So presumably it caught their attention. And so the longer they're there on our site watching content, it benefits us as a business. And we hope that it benefits them as a customer because they're finding and engaging with content that interests them. So why five minutes? Why not four minutes? Why not six minutes? It's actually not not hard science. A while back, we just put the stake in the ground and said, we think five minutes is good, a good signifier. (laughs) And we've stuck, really, and we have stuck with that over time, and it served us well. You know, I like what you said there, that you just put a stake in the ground. Like, let's just start Mm -hmm. somewhere. (laughs) We don't have to argue about what the scientific number is. And I think sometimes as analysts, we get so caught up in having to have a crisp number or a crisp metric versus the, you know, let's guide the business in generally the correct direction, which is we want people to be watching longer. We want people to be engaging longer. And sure enough, I mean, Mm -hmm. in today's shortest attention span culture, I can't remember the last time I watched five minutes of a video that I didn't like. That sounds like a pretty solid metric to me. (laughs) Right, right. Our customers on Twitch are incredibly engaged with content. On days that they're active, they'll watch nearly two hours of content. Wow. So, yeah. (laughs) So... 
So in the example you were talking about earlier, it also, I think there was a, a nice allusion to recency. And what I find so mm -hmm. interesting about this is it's one of the key metrics of customer lifetime value. You know, we look at recency, we look mm -hmm. at frequency when we're trying to predict people's future value. In the lift, in the, you know, the 1% that you got, was that an immediate, like, we're just going to measure in the short term calculation? Or was that something that somebody was looking at the much broader picture. So in other words, do you think there's even more potential mm. behind this? Well, there's definitely more potential behind that. And I think that as Twitch has grown as a business, we've gotten a more sophisticated understanding of our customers and how they interact with our product. And and that's evolved over time, really. And when we think about recency and frequency, there are still lots of things to learn, right? Breaking it down to different customer personas helps us understand what drives people back. Why do they come back and what's the cycle of their usage of our product, right? And some people might make a daily habit of it and come to Twitch and look at content every single day, and that's great. But there are others that might just like to watch esports, and they'll only show up to watch content when there's an esports event. And if those don't happen every day, then they're not on our site every day. So those are the kinds of conversations we're having right now. So customer personas, that's a really interesting angle. When you find these use cases of people coming in, does it feed right back into the product team and you know give them exactly the guidance that they need? Is there a data component to this? Or is it a combination of, let's call it the math and the magic, the, the art and the science coming together? <laughs> the math and the magic. I like that. I can't, well, I can, I can't I say can, I, I actually can... made that up. I actually stole it from uh, Bain and, and one of their recent oh, documents. Really? Yeah, yeah, I wish I, and, and they'll right. be on the show too, but I can't take credit for that one. <laughs> I can, okay, I can vouch firsthand for the combination of math plus magic. When I see my colleague who focuses solely on audience research working collaboratively with a data scientist uh, on my team, and they're um, the qualitative research and understands attitudes and motivations, and he has access to all the hundreds of billions of rows of our behavioral data and can match those attitudes to behavior. And I think that combination of qualitative and quantitative research is really, really important. I think you're absolutely right. Zach Anderson, who we've had on this show before, has told me in the past that they pull in all that qualitative research, even if it's somebody saying F you 150 times mm -hmm. in the box. <laughs> I mm -hmm. guess that still tells you something. <laughs> But oh, then, it does. And I don't know if Twitch has this too, but do you actually have customers that, you know, tattoo the brand on themselves because they're such passionate fans? <laughs> I haven't. I haven't seen any tattoos, but honestly, I haven't looked for it. But I do know that we we sell uh, quite a bit of Twitch branded merchandise to uh, to our customers who are, are giant fans of it. We have a, a Twitch conference every year called TwitchCon. It's set to happen again in October in the Bay Area, and there has been a notoriously long line for our merchandise store. People want to buy uh, Twitch branded items. I think it's just a matter before you see the tattoos. <laughs> I know. Matter of time. I'm sure they're already out there. I'm going to go look after this call. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Okay. Are there any other examples you want to give us or anything else you want to talk about with relation to um, customers and product-centric data before we get into, you know, what should I do? 
Sure. I just wanted to mention that I feel like having been involved in the data and analytics space for so long, I've seen some really encouraging trends happen over, say, the past decade when it comes to product development and product management, taking an interest in data and recognizing the importance and the necessity of using data to make smart decisions about where they take the product or which products they build to begin with. And so I found more and more often that the data people are working very closely with product teams. And good product teams are also focused on building products that address customer needs. It's all coming together, right? I think it's a good positive trend where we can expect product managers more in the future to be deeply invested in using data to drive what they're doing. I think that's an excellent call. When a new product manager comes in, do you get to interview them? They're not me personally, but I believe that our product manager interview loops um, uh, do do include data scientists or data analysts. Yeah, that's exactly what I was looking for. And so if I were going to hire a product manager that I wanted to make sure was data centric, are there any you know good questions I should particularly ask them other than do you use data in your everyday life? There's an entire book it's <laughs> called Cracking the, <laughs> Cracking the Product Manager Interview, and it tells you exactly what to ask. Oh, that's perfect. Do you know who it's by, by chance? I have it right here on my desktop. Let me open it up and tell you. It's by someone who, Gail Lockman McDowell and Jackie Bavaro. So I imagine they don't just give you one go-to question. They probably give you a whole series of things to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a fantastic resource. So I guess if you are a product manager or you want to become a better product manager, that sounds like a good go-to book for working for a cool company like Twitch. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, let's say I'm convinced that I, you know, decided that I want to put more customer information into my product development, but maybe I've got a team that's not really used to this. How do I start getting my traditional product managers going toward modern, maybe data, I don't want to call it necessarily data-driven because we don't want to lose the, quote, magic side of the equation, Mm -hmm. but how do I get them to start to be more data-centric than they were before? I think maybe a lightweight way is to get them to start thinking about predictions before a product launch. They're going to launch a product. Ask them, what do you think is going to happen when you launch this product? What do you expect to happen? Can you quantify that? And then why do you think that? And that's a way of um, getting them to turn to data to help them figure out what impact they expect their product to have, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. in a quantifiable way. And that's something that here at Twitch we have a real strong culture of, that and when you say, I'm going to do this thing. People always come back with, well, what do you expect to see happen? And is there also a culture that you can't just give, like, I want to build awareness. That's my, you know, and I'm going to count reach as my mm. quantifiable metric. Is there a way to kind of keep mm. them from giving soft metrics or a soft metrics? Mm. I think that that's, <laughs> I think that's just a muscle you have to build over time <laughs> and reach and Brand awareness and all of those are incredibly important things to think about as a business, but they're especially 
vexing for anyone who's involved in data because they are difficult to quantify. Okay. Right. So maybe just put a stake in the ground like you did with your five-minute rule and try to get them going mm -hmm. and, then, and then go from there. Right. Okay. So what would be the next step? So the first step is getting product people to talk about quantifiable goals is one great thing. In order to not over-index on having a product-centric org, I would say make sure that you've got the balance between the product-centric view and the customer-centric view. At Twitch, as much importance as we place on product, we also have one of our core values that is customer-centric. For us, it's called Creators First, which is the creators of user-generated content being at the center of our business. And that's ingrained in everyone's mindset and everything they do. So even though often you talk to people here and everyone's like, product, 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 they're also very focused always on the customer. You know, I, and, I hear that in other um, places, that's too. That's a, whether it's the San Francisco Giants and their fan-first mentality or other places where mm. it's player-first or patient-first, I oftentimes hear this in the core values of the company, and that's a really great flag. Is it yeah. embedded in the culture? That's very helpful. And is there maybe a third step? I think third, it's important to evaluate at every step in your product cycle. So for me, that would be product research, product development, product optimization, that you are seizing opportunities to use data to make smart decisions, right? So this is data people and product people working in concert to make sure that what they're doing has quantifiable impact. And as much as that seems like it might involve technology, and if I just buy some technology, I'll solve the problem. It's not. It's entirely about people and process. Yeah, I oftentimes find this check the box mentality. I'm going to get an email program. I'm going to fill in all these holes in my tech stack, which is admittedly important, but it doesn't replace strategy and it doesn't replace the way that you judge how things are going. Sometimes we talk about metrics that measure the tool and how well the tool is operating versus mm -hmm. metrics that measure the broader customer or measure the broader product. And I imagine you'd agree mm -hmm. with that too. You, know, you kind of have to separate these things. Yeah, yeah, you definitely do. Good. Any other steps? Is that pretty much it? Give it to three. No, I think that's it. Good, good. Okay. Well, June, is there a way that people can get in touch with you if they have more questions or they want to follow up or they want to apply for a job at Twitch? Sure. I welcome any and all contact through LinkedIn. I'm the only June Dershowitz there. Or I'm occasionally on Twitter at jdersh. If you're interested in a job at Twitch generally, our job site is jobs.twitch.tv. Perfect. And just for clarity, Dershowitz is spelled D-E-R-S-H-E-W-I-T-Z, which I know because I've spelled it many times. <laughs> uh-huh. That's correct. Great. So that'll, that'll help you find her. So now let's summarize a little bit. In the beginning of our conversation, we talked about why should I care about customer-centric product development and how is it different? And one of the things you said in the beginning was it's not mutually exclusive mindsets between the two, which is sometimes how we think of it. You know, the oxymoron of customer-centric versus product-centric, but it's mm -hmm. actually a very powerful combination 
And this is where we acknowledge the customer needs, particularly in the product research phase, when you're considering the audience up front, perhaps considering the CLV breakouts up front, and using that to create a really well-formed strategy. And then you gave us this nice, tidy package of how does the customer play a role when product is basically on the pinnacle of the organization? And you talked about three different pieces here, one being research and innovation, which is kind of the heart of your customer-centric kickoff, and then product development, which are the measures of how well you're doing and the fact that you have to have those up front even when you're um, creating and launching the pro product. You need to think about what metrics you're going to use. And then third, the optimization of the product, which also leads into the five whys of the root cause of did it do well or didn't do well, which is a natural outpouring of having the measures for success. Did I miss anything there? No, that's a perfect summary. Good, good. Okay, and then we talked about the impact. And although I know you can't quantify it in dollars, we talked about a 1% lift that came through a customer-centric, product-driven improvement where you know maybe originally, internally, people were looking at this feature as might be nice to have, might be, is it a have to have? And they kind of talk about it verbally, but what you said in the beginning is not so much that, but the fact that you tested it, that this part of the organization took it on as a test, like, okay, well, we don't really know. Let's acknowledge that we don't know. Let's try. And the test was really around personalizing the content delivery so that you could incorporate recently viewed content into the product. And getting that lift as an outcome was a huge deal because at the volumes that Twitch runs, that 1% actually means quite a lot. Did I miss anything? That's there? true. It was, it was, nope, that was incredibly impactful for us. Yeah, yeah. And then we also talked about the combination of behavioral and attitudinal data coming together. And of course, all your rabid fans going to TwitchCon, I guess I should call it, in San Francisco in October. And then you mentioned this book that we will also link to on our transcript page about cracking the product manager interview, which is probably a really great step if you are a product manager listening to this interview. That's a free ebook, by the way. Oh, is it? Oh, good to know. Yeah, it's on Amazon. I just looked it up. <laughs> oh, good. good. Okay. So third, what should you do next? We talked about three steps in the process. One is quantifiable goals. What do you think will happen when you launch this product? Can you quantify that? And even if you're just putting a soft stake in the ground, at least put a stake in the ground and you can build that muscle, as you say, over time for better analytics and better data. And then second, you want to ensure that there's a balance between the product-centric and the customer-centric view. Sometimes that goes into the company's core values, and that can be a great signal of, is it creators first? Is it fan first? What is the mentality within the organization that you can hook to to help ensure that the balance is there between product-centric and customer-centric? It can't just be, I'm going to throw some data in. It needs to fit those values because everybody aligns to those values. And oftentimes people are rewarded by those values. And then third, we got into the evaluation cycle. We talked specifically, kind of tying it back to our first part about product research, development, and optimization, but really asking yourself, are you using data at each step to run alongside the product managers? And what would it take to do that? It's not about having technology. It's about asking the right questions and having the right data to go after those questions. Anything else you want to add? You've done a great job of summarizing our conversation. Oh, good, good, good. Well, as 
always, links to everything we discuss are at ambitiondata.com slash podcast. June, it's been such a pleasure having you join us today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Remember, everyone, when you use your data effectively, you can build customer equity. It's not magic. It's just a very specific journey that you can follow to get results. Thank you for joining today's show. This is Allison. Just a few things before you head out. Every Friday, I put together a short bulleted list of three to five things I've seen that represent customer equity signal, not noise. And believe me, there's a lot of noise out there. I actually call this email the signal. Things I include could be smart tools I've run across, articles I've shared, cool statistics, or people and companies I think are doing amazing work building customer equity. If you'd like to receive this nugget of goodness each week, you can sign up at ambitiondata.com and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoy the signal. See you next week on the Customer Equity Accelerator.